All right, everybody, welcome to This Week in Startups. Happy Monday. We have a really fun show today. Jason's out on vacation. So we have one of our favorites, TechCrunch's Alex Wilhelm joining us today. And he is not only incredibly well-informed, but he brings the heat. He is not holding back. We cover a bunch of topics, starting with Netflix, stopping password sharing, Snapchat's tanking stock, chaos in crypto. It is an absolutely awesome news roundup. Stick with us. This Week in Startups is brought to you by Embroker's Startup Insurance Program helps startups secure the most important types of insurance at a lower cost and with less hassle. Save up to 20% off of traditional insurance today at Embroker.com slash twist. And while you're there, get an extra 10% off using offer code twist. Odoo is a fully customizable and fully integrated suite of business apps that lets you build and scale your stack as you build and scale your business. Your first app is free forever, and right now Odoo is offering $1,000 off your first implementation pack at odoo.com slash twist. That's O-D-O-O dot com slash twist. And Vanta. Compliance and security shouldn't be a deal breaker for startups to win new business. Vanta makes it easy for companies to get a SOC 2 report fast. Twist listeners can get $1,000 off at vanta.com slash twist. Welcome, everybody. Welcome back to This Week in Startups. Happy, happy Monday. It is going to be a big week. Jason is on vacation, and so are we. Just kidding, boss. Don't, don't. You, I did not say that. We're not on vacation at all. We're holding down the fort. And to kick off the week, I'm super excited because Alex Wilhelm from TechCrunch is back. Indeed. For tech earnings week, ongoing crypto meltdown, uh, drama galore, and then Netflix cracking down on password sharing. Plus, honestly, just whatever else comes up in the course of this rollicking hangout. Yeah. The Netflix thing, I know we're going to get to that, but like, can you, have you ever seen a company U-turn quite this much from like the cool kid company to being like essentially your parents? It's so I mean, let's literally jump ahead. Okay. To the Netflix thing. Let's just start with this. There's a lot of outstanding news to report today, but honestly, over the weekend, Netflix added this, tested, added this like add a home option to crack down on the password sharing. And they're going to make you, they're going to like spy on you and make sure, presumably, that you're at your house, which to be fair, Hulu already does and won't let you stream sometimes outside the house. But if you want to use your account in a different home, you will have to pay an additional $3. Mm-hmm. Netflix, of course, has claimed that there are 100 million households globally sharing user accounts, and over 30 million of those are in the U.S. and Canada. And so they have decided they've seen their foot and they're going to take aim and fire. Yes. That's my only read of this because they're going to make the service harder for me to use as a paying customer. Like, I mean, Molly, I don't know how much I pay for Netflix right now. It's some amount of money. Yeah. And that's fine because I use mm-hmm. it. But if they start telling me that if I change houses, that I have to constantly do this little dance of logging back in and checking my email to get a code and all that kind of BS, I'm going to decide that uh, whatever dollar amount it is, I don't want to spend it anymore and uh, go away. So to me, this is just backwards thinking McKinsey level BS. Which is so funny because that is almost exactly the conversation we had last week where Jason was just like, the CFOs are in charge here, right? It's just this like financialization, slicing and dicing, as opposed to, in this case, literally the opposite 
of delighting customers. Like the second that I am told by Netflix, which I barely watch ever, I did recently go online and lower my account from the $20 a month to $15. And even that, I was like, seriously, $15 for this crap? Like, really? And one of the only reasons that I keep it is because my fixed income mom uses it to watch the Great British Baking Show and she loves it. So the second that I have to pay that extra $3, I'm going to call a friend named Amazon and be like, I sent you every season on DVD or whatever it takes, yeah. right? I'm just like, no, mom, like yeah. that's, that's ridiculous. Streaming services need to realize that the reason why piracy died wasn't because we stamped out piracy. It's because there were options put into the market that were easy to pay for and high quality. And Netflix yeah. is now making them more expensive and lower quality. And then they're going to offer an ad-based tier. We, you know what I really want is Netflix with ads said literally right. no one in the history of time, except for bored Geico executives who somehow still have ad budget. They need to shove somewhere deeper into our cranium. Is Geico, do we think that by volume Geico is the world's largest advertiser? Because it does feel that way. <laughs> so there's the dumb lizard. There's the dumb yeah. emu. There's yeah. the, the weird all state chaos idiot. State mm -hmm. Farm has the new dude. I just don't understand why we've decided that we should all pay 30% more for insurance to finance large ad budgets that then prop up fading cable channels. Because I would like to reverse all the economics, drop the cable channels, drop the advertising and pay less for insurance. Like it's a waste. Same. It's so inefficient. That I'm almost never going to use. Don't forget about flow. I was wondering where flow is. And also Joanne points out in the chat, you also have that 480p option. For $9.99. And then the other thing that's so insane is that they are rolling out Operation Nickel and Dime in like Central America. Like at least roll out Nickel and Dime to the Bay Area where yeah. rich people aren't going to notice it. Yeah. Like it just is kind of everything about this is it's, it's wrong headed. Icky. And you know what it reminds me of? The Steve Ballmer era of Microsoft. Suddenly Ooh. a sales guy was in charge, not a technologist. And you could tell as the company really slowed down its ability to be open, to innovate. And then once they put a technologist back in front, they became more open and they made better stuff. And to me, this is the uh, the awkward adolescence of the Netflix experiment. And I say that as someone yeah. whose parents still have the DVD service, they might be the last people uh, on the planet, but they still get Netflix DVDs as far as I know. I have, I have a friend my own age who gets the DVDs. What, True story. What 33-year-old's getting DVDs? Thanks, boss. Thanks. Appreciate you. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, now that we have dispensed with that, <laughs> and I am so deeply curious about how much extra I am paying in insurance premiums for all of that advertising, which is a whole separate story that I'm going to call somebody at Marketplace about. This is going to be a big tech earnings week. Oh, yeah. It has arguably already kicked off with some bad news. That bad news being Snap. Snap's earnings were... Even for Snapchat, very Snapchatty, because this is a company that has a long history of having really. As in the earnings disappeared. Hey, oh. Well, well I, sometimes they've done the opposite, though. I mean, Snap really had a moment in the last, you know, 12, 18 months. Their value appreciated, their growth kicked back up. They reached, uh, you know, gap net income. They had positive free cash flow for a bit. The company was really kind of back on the up and up, and investors really warmed to that. And then I think, as we've seen, the correction kind of came in late 21, early 2022, and things have changed. Uh, what blows my mind is Q2 wasn't that bad at, at Snap. It was really the, the guidance portion, Molly, that threw me for a loop when I read yeah. the numbers. Yeah. Tell us more about that. Because like you said, Q2 was okay. The revenue was actually up 
year over year. Yeah. A billion dollars in revenue for Q2. Slowing revenue growth was an issue. But what happened in the guidance to cause this to just fall off a cliff? Well, if, if you go from growing 100% a year to growing 13%, investors are going to be very unhappy. Mm-hmm. But then when you say, looking forward, we're so unclear on what's going on in our business and the economy that we're not going to provide guidance. And the only thing we'll tell you is that we're flat thus far year over year. They drop your stock like the proverbial hot rock because they don't want to hold right. it anymore. The company's back to gap net losses. Its free cash flow results are worse. It had $7 million in adjusted EBITDA last quarter, which is like a joke. It's making like $7 million in fake profit off of over a billion in revenue because their expense base is now too high. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it's just kind of um, it's kind of a mess. And I, I want to say it says a lot about the ad market in general, Molly, but I'm not sure it does. I wonder if it just says that Snap is still sufficiently small that it can't really navigate changes to the macro economy on its own. Yeah, I think we're going to find out more this week, probably, about the ad market and what it really is doing. Certainly in media, you're hearing people report that the ad market is, in fact, a bloodbath. But I think it is that growth number that you point to that suggests that it is not at all advertising. It is, in fact, that if you were able to use COVID headwinds to grow by 116% in Q2 of last year, and (laughs) there it is, 116% growth that then just falls all the way to 13%. Like you didn't pick up a single other person effectively, (laughs) you know, over an entire year, nobody else jumped on this bandwagon because they all went to TikTok. Then the problem might not be ads at all. You know, it's interesting because every time a new thing comes up, Facebook tries it for 20 minutes. Like they had that Mm -hmm. newsletter push. They had a podcast, you know, phase for a minute. They're kind of like a middle schooler trying on new fashion trends. They're like, I'm a goth this week. Now I'm a jock. Facebook's business strategy. Uh, Snap, though, has kind of stuck true to its guns, even as TikTok has taken off. And to their credit, they have, oh, this is from memory, like 342 million MAUs. So a a big chunk of people out there, they're they're, they're big. But I I think you're right. In the conversation of what's driving culture and therefore what's relevant to advertisers, it's TikTok over Snap 100 to 1. Right. 347 million daily active users up 18% year over year. But critically, though, it's bigger than Twitter. OK, but I'm pretty sure my <laughs> my book club in Providence is bigger than Twitter. <laughs> Snap's uh, user growth did miss expectations. So that was critical. They, yes. they missed on profit. They missed on revenue and they missed on user growth, didn't forecast and said they were flat. And that it, it, I mean, like we talk about a top and bottom line beat. That's a five way miss, essentially, which is about as bad as you can bring home as an earnings report goes. I feel for them. You know, they're trying to do something different. They're trying to bring that LA vibe to tech. They're still working on hardware. And frankly, I, I wish them the best because they haven't ended up being component to a larger platform company. And that's cool. Yeah. It is super cool. And I actually also really appreciate the fact that Snap has tried to be like a good actor in the social media universe, right? It is sort of said, we don't want to sell a bunch of user data, which I'm sure has not helped it with selling more ads, uh, unfortunately, and has tried to create a product that is, you know, arguably not destructive. I'm going to be very quick today. You need to understand what cyber insurance is. Obviously, this covers hacks, which happen more than you think, especially in these crazy times. You want to be protected, so you want to have your cyber insurance set up. If you don't have business insurance, you failed one of the first steps of being a founder and having investors. You need to protect yourself. You need to protect the downside. And startups should look no further than Embroker. Embroker's technology saves you time and money. 
prices are up to 20% lower with better coverage than incumbents. Go from sign up to quote and purchase in just 10 minutes. When you work with Imbroker instead of the big incumbents, you're not dealing with these large, slow corporations. And sign up with Imbroker takes days, not weeks. The process is totally transparent. There's no opaque pricing. There's no annoying incumbents standing in your way of just GSD. You got to get stuff done, okay? And mm, let's face it, these slow incumbents, they're not going to get it done, okay? So to instantly buy custom-built insurance for startups, go to imbroker.com slash twist, E-M-B-R-O-K-E-R.com slash twist. And while you're there, you're going to get an extra 10% off, I kid you not, by using my code twist, T-W-I-S-T. The other thing that we have to point out when it comes to the financials is, so Jason, you haven't been here for this, but he has decided that he would like to use this dip to dabble in equities. Okay. So he's becoming a public investor, an equity investor before our very eyes, and he's calling him J-Trades. And he had considered over the weekend, at ah. least on Twitter, should I do a J-Trade uh, on Snap? Should I buy it? Right? He's like, hey, man, maybe this isn't so bad. The users are still growing. Revenue still growing. They got $5 billion in cash. Four and a half billion in yearly revenue, sixteen billion dollar market cap, two point four price to sales ratio. If you net out the cash, and he's like, you know, maybe it's an acquisition target. Maybe you get in now, and then you cash out when Google scoops him up. And then, and this is what happens when you J trade in real time. The follow up tweet. <laughs> yeah. Some important information. Someone just told me Snap also has four point two billion dollars in debt. Yep. So adjusted cash is more like 500 to 700 million. That does change everything, I think. And then that was the end of the J trade. Well, the, the debt thing's very interesting because people forget about that. But if I yeah. recall the terms of that debt, it was actually pretty favorable to the company because it was raised back when interest rates were lower. And if you recall, Coinbase did something similar. They added quite a lot of cash to their balance sheet at relatively low cost of capital, which is smart. I mean, that's what you want to do. That's what you want mm -hmm. to see people... Um, take the free money, man. Take the free money. So to me, I think from an equities trading position, I understand why the debt is a, a worrisome thing. But frankly, from a business perspective, I'm really glad they raised it back then versus now because it would be much more expensive today. Can you imagine with a $10 per share share price? Brutal. Yeah. No way. However, let's take a look at another uh, another breakdown. Uh, Anirban Mahanti is uh, was apparently the tweet that helped Jason <laughs> back away from the ledge here. Um, so a little more analysis. Snap convertible debt might be the canary in the coal mine, according to this tweet. $850 million notes due 2025, which have a conversion price of $22. Uh-huh. $1 billion notes due in 2027 have a conversion price of $89. <laughs> And $1.3 billion notes during, uh, due in 2028 convert at $56. And a reminder that the share price uh, was $12 at the time of this tweet. I think it's more like nine today, right? It, it was nine or 10 last time I checked. So my, my question about this is, if the share price is lower than the conversion price, I presume there are provisions to make whole at the equivalent dollar amount, right? So do they get twice as many shares if the debt's priced at 22 and the stock's at 11? Because if so, the know. dilution's yeah. going to be absolutely punishing. And that may be why Snap and their latest earnings discussed a $500 million share buyback to reduce the impact of dilution. Right. But that's not going to make a dent. No. I mean, this is stare, they're staring down the barrel of a cannon. <laughs> the cannon is entitled it's, prior obligations. It's like, oh, yeah. no. It really is. So, yeah. 
that's a, it's probably this is not a investment advice in any way whatsoever, but I think we can assume it was a no buy for Jason. Well, well, it turns out it was no buy for everybody, given the fact no that its stock price went from like sixteen fifty a share to ten or nine in the course of a week. Which again, even for Snapchat, is pretty Snapchatty. Uh, I in just fact, like weirdly don't want to give up on them. I don't know why. It's because they just they they've had a conviction since before they went public, and they've had this yeah. belief that they were right, and they've been kind of right and kind of wrong. And they've stuck to it. And points for that. I mean, do you recall, Molly, when they went public and they offered shares that had zero votes per share? Like, that was such an aggressive (laughs) thing to do. And we all made fun of them. And then they just didn't care. You know, they're like off in the corner doing their own thing. You hope for the weird kid, you know? Yeah. 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 You really do. That's exactly it. They just seem kind of nice. Talk about what, let's briefly... We don't have to go in depth, but there are other big tech earnings coming up. What are you looking for? Where I know we're going to see Meta, right? And mm-hmm. Apple. Mm-hmm. So I think each of the major tech companies is going to be interesting this week. We should see, I think, all five of the American big tech companies report. And what's kind of amazing is each one of them has an ads business. The Apple mm-hmm. App Store advertising business is huge. Uh, Amazon's ad business does, I think, like tens of billions of dollars a year in revenue. Uh, yeah. Microsoft has Bing and search tech that's going to power Netflix's new <laughs> ad-supported tier, as mentioned earlier. Uh, Meta, of course, is ads, and then Google has ads on uh, networks, search, and its own YouTube properties. So essentially, the the ad warning from Snap is my question mark for each of these companies. What will show mm-hmm. up in that, in that revenue line item? And then, of course, Molly, we're going to learn enterprise software health from Microsoft, cloud health from Amazon, you know, general search traffic from Google, and we'll get lots of other kind of like details, but there is an ad theme to this entire week's earnings and Snap really did set the tone for it. So I, you hope for people that work there that Snap is the outlier. (laughs) Definitely do. Otherwise it's going to be yet another ugly week. Just put it all down, put it just back away from the 401k. Oh, I haven't checked my Fidelity account or my Vanguard account in some time. I'm just, no one wants to know. Yeah, I'm no just, wants to know. we're also, uh, I just looked this up while we're talking, going to get Spotify and Shopify, which I think could be pretty interesting as well. well. Just as a side note, like what's happening with shopping and what is going on at Spotify? <laughs> well, <laughs> Shopify and big commerce are the two major kind of like SMB focused e-com platforms. One's headless, one isn't. And so there's kind mm-hmm. of a, a distinction there. So I'm tracking those two companies to see which model works out better. Uh, long term, but I really feel like the the emphasis on those companies has come off because we're no longer seeing this enormous expansion in e-commerce growth. In fact, going back to the the big five earnings, you know, if Amazon and Shopify don't put up at least respectable numbers, does that mean that e-com is kind of hosed for the rest of the year? And if so, what startups are impacted? A lot of people are working in logistics, shipping, and they were hot as hell twelve months ago. But mm-hmm. if their market's slowing, what kind of growth numbers can you actually put up? I, I think more about just the startups. So I try to think, like bring the big tech back down. But yes. I'm so high excited for this week. And I know it makes me a huge nerd. But like we're going to learn so much, Molly. It's going to be so intriguing to kind of get all this data and parse it and kind of figure out where we actually sit. Because the economy is so strange these days. It really is. Speaking of uh, nerd, what is headless? One headless, one not? Yeah. So like a headless CMS uh, would be a content management system like WordPress, but with no uh, graphics on top of it. So it's just like the, that holds the data and then you build uh-huh. the UI on top. And so big commerce is more of a, like 
agnostic platform where you bring in other stuff you want to use, payments, et cetera. Got it. Whereas on Shopify, <laughs> they have shop pay and more in-house stuff. And so Shopify has grown much more quickly because essentially payments are a big revenue driver. But um, I've spent a lot of time talking to Brent over at Big Commerce, and he thinks that his model will work better longer term. So it'll be fun to see when that kind of uh, shakes out this year. Interesting. All right. We are probably going to talk a little more about the uh, environment for investing but before that, would you like to do some crypto drama? With the caveat that we'll do our best, yes. <laughs> before we get into the ad, everybody, it makes our team so happy to see our partners celebrate big wins. And I'm thrilled to hear about the huge funding round our partner Odoo just had. Really great stuff from Julian and the team over there, especially in this crazy venture market. So congratulations. And uh, speaking of the market, right now being capital efficient is more important than ever. And one easy way to cut costs is to run all your SaaS apps on one platform. So please check out Odoo's suite of business apps. Using Odoo means you won't have a bunch of different SaaS subscriptions. Everything you need is already on Odoo. All you have to do is turn it on when you're ready. And they'll only charge you for the apps you use. Odoo has over 40 main apps and over 16,000 apps from their open source community. We're talking about sales, accounting, marketing automation, HR, website builders, and so much more. And this will streamline your business. No more issues transferring data back and forth. And you'll have one customer support contact across all of your apps, not 20. And the best part? Well, here's your call to action. Your first app is free forever. And Odoo is offering a $1,000 credit on your first implementation pack. So go to odoo.com slash twist for $1,000 off. That is, once again, odoo.com slash twist. This actually was just a fascinating thing that broke last week. Uh, Coinbase is now home to arguably the first crypto insider trading scandal of its kind. Uh, according to an SEC press release that dropped actually Thursday, an ex-Coinbase product manager and two others were charged with insider trading. A, a product manager, Sean Wahi, gave insider tips to his brother, Nikhil, and their friend, Samir Ramani. All three were charged with wire fraud conspiracy and wire fraud. The three evidently collect, co collected about a million and a half dollars in profits and at least 25 different crypto assets. Are you making that like, that is so little? Why did you ruin your whole life over that? Yeah. Like, hand gesture I'm, I'm for sorry. those who can't see you. Oh, sorry. I'm on video. And I'm, I'm raising my hands in annoyance. Like, if you're going to run a scam yeah. and become an international pariah and ruin your life and you do it for like three board ape NFTs worth of value, you're a moron. Like, yeah. cheat better, at least. Like, you know, Congress is like, gets bought off like a 10K donation from like the oil lobby. And I'm like, how cheap are you guys? Have some self respect. Sell it for like 10 million, not 10K. At least in the case of Congress, I read this interesting analysis one time by a former spy that was like, it's not the amount that matters. It's the um, the ownership, right? Like if you can get them to take 10K, it's a small amount and they don't think it's that big a deal and it's not a huge hurdle to get over. But then you have them. Then oh. they are compromised forever. And I was like, oh, interesting. In this case, though, it's just like, man, you guys really sold your entire lives cheap. In plain English, what they did is is pretty straightforward, right? Sean would tell the other two about coins that were about to be listed on Coinbase before they were publicly announced. These guys then, the other two idiots, would go buy big quantities of said coin and then dump them when they went live. They were just front running yep. the coin drops. But that's not even the like super interesting part, I think, right? The super interesting part is that the SEC, in a separate complaint, said it considered at least nine out of the 25 tokens trading in that scheme 
to be securities. Yes, that is the, that's the bomb in this. The fact that a couple of morons tried to make some money is just a tale of human greed and perhaps insufficiently stern internal controls at Coinbase. I mean, I've been seeing tweets and Reddit threads about unnatural trading activity before coins are listed on various exchanges since they started to be listed on various exchanges. So like Mm -hmm. at least the suspicion in the community about people acting poorly has been around for a long time. This is the first time people have been caught and and charged. Cool, good step, but like of modest importance. If a lot of tokens, Molly, are securities, how much securities fraud has gone on? In the last five Mm -hmm. or 10 years, how many major investing houses, venture capital firms, RIAs, individuals, founders, friends have committed epic amounts of securities fraud, either by accident or by not wanting to know if they were playing in that sandbox? Yeah. I mean, how bonkers would it be? uh, Producer Nick calls it almost like an SNL skit. If these three ding dongs effectively brought down the entire crypto industry. Because the the implications of saying, you know, the uh, more than a third of the the coins that are being traded on Coinbase, just as one example, are securities, is like that's it. That's sort of game over for the freewheeling hoodly do the oh, fun. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot more lawsuits all of a sudden one assumes would be enabled, right? If they were just like, yep, nope, we just we just backdoor declared because the SEC has been dodging this question for however many years now. Mm-hmm. But if the SEC just backdoor declared a whole bunch of things securities, like lawyers just backed up the Brinks trucks, didn't they? Oh, I mean, no, they just bought the gold mine. I mean, forget the truck. Just go straight to the source <laughs> in that case. Just mine it yourself. Huh? I struggle to see, and I know this is not going to be popular with, with our friends, but like, I, I really struggle to see how something like ETH on the Ethereum blockchain isn't a security. Mm-hmm. It's something mm-hmm. that I buy in hopes of it appreciating value off the labor of others, aka developers and other stuff, which is the definition of a security. And certainly it is on the blockchain, but does that matter if it's in an Excel spreadsheet or a freaking online decentralized database? If it's a security, it's a security. And I, I guess I wish we hadn't gotten this far without settling the question. And I do blame the government for that. But I yeah. also think that there's been a lot of wishful thinking out there and a lot of chest beating that these are not securities. These are something else. When in reality, they're just the same stuff in a different wrapper. Uh, so well, grow up. There have been all of the years of. I'm at, it, it's funny because I have Jay Carney on the brain today because I just read. So he's Amazon's head of public affairs. And I just read that he's leaving to go to Airbnb. Jay Carney for years was. The guy who would go on TV, would go in front of Congress, would defend, you know, for example, Amazon not paying any taxes um, or unionization or whatever it is. And he would say, we're operating within the bounds of the law. If you don't like it, change the law. Right. And he was one of the few, I think, high level executives who was extremely blunt in that way. But I don't think it was wishful thinking at all. For these people to continue to insist that, for example, ETH was not a security, because why you're not going to say the opposite if you're making the money. Well, it wasn't wishful thinking. Like it's, it a, was, I uh, just think it's a hundred percent an SEC fail. Oh well, a hundred percent. Like if you can, money flows downhill, right, to where the opportunity is. Like. Yes. What are you going to do? Not take the opportunity? Well, if I was a professional investor, I wouldn't engage in things that may be retroactively considered to be securities trading. And therefore, I wouldn't open myself up to potential litigation. I mean, Andreessen Horowitz just raised a four and a half billion dollar crypto right. fund and they've raised billions before and put it to work, bought and sold tokens with insider information because they're investors on the board of these companies. And if those are securities, I'm not a lawyer. Blah, blah, blah. Isn't that something that's a little bit sketchy by securities rules? 
And so I think a lot of these people put their greed ahead of their caution. And yes, the government was slow to react. Welcome to government. That doesn't mean if I find a gray area in the law and I shoot somebody because I think I can get away with it. And then it turns out I can't. Is it my fault or the government's fault? Probably mine. So the wishful thinking was that the government would ever wake up. The wishful thinking was that they were going to be able to essentially buy Congress, I think. The, the goal was to increase lobbying dollars until they could talk this in enough circles that it would be declared something that it wasn't. Because if you mm-hmm. put enough babble around it, why not? But uh, right. uh, to me, they're securities. So get ready for regulation and let's do that soon so people stop getting ripped off in catastrophes like Celsius and Voyager and on down the chain. Right. On that note, we should probably say that Paul Grewal, Coinbase's chief legal officer, posted a blog post after uh, this this securities, the SEC complaint, and said, quote, Coinbase does not list securities, end of story, and denied these various Well, that claims. does it then. Well, <laughs> There you go. We don't have the SEC anymore. We have Paul Grewal. Thanks, Paul. You really Sorry, do carnate please. that one. <laughs> I read that blog post by Coinbase and it was, uh, it was bad. It was one of their worst, I think, pieces of literature. And I've, I've read a lot of Coinbase stuff over the years. I've talked to Brian once or twice and covered the company through their IPO and sorry, direct listing and so forth. And, uh, I mean, you could tell by the tone of that piece that they're worried. And I think they should be. And I think a lot of folks out there and Coinbase, I, I actually view as a relatively good actor in the crypto space compared to everyone else. And so I don't think they should even be that concerned, except from a business model perspective. But I think there's a lot of folks out there who should be concerned for other reasons as well. And uh, if that does make the price of your ape JPEG go down, I don't care. Get a job. <laughs> okay, boomer. Um, I, I turned 33 bad, this week, so bring it on. I'm I know, I love it. I, I absolutely, yeah. Uh, it's going to be... I mean, I, I cannot disagree with Jason here, who has been basically saying, like, cue the lawsuits, right? This is there was the decade of freewheeling money making. Congrats to everybody who got out in time. Mm-hmm. And now is going to be the decade of accountability and accounting. And it is unquestionably going to get ugly. And speaking of bad responses that I think are indicative, actually, of the kind of wishful thinking that you're talking about. There was a really interesting uh, Bloomberg interview with the Three Arrows Capital founders, Suzu and Kyle Davies, <laughs> which I am assuming you also read. Yeah, when they were trying to defend the $50 million yacht purchase by saying they had done it a year before. I'm like, that does not help your case. They're like, these are just the headlines that people like to run. But actually, we had already bought the yacht. With probably customer funds because they were leveraged. Molly, uh, can we swear on the show? Yeah, hit it. Leveraged we'll it. to the just like, come on. Can, can we, before we go. <laughs> that was for, a really funny swear. <laughs> Swear's well, I, I've been, I've been censoring the whole show and I, I just got tired of it. So I thought I'd ask. Uh, yeah. Can we go back to Jay Carney though? Because he was Let's. this Obama era spokesperson, right? Let's. Famously, I'm so like, into this story. Everybody just alert audience alert. This is going to be some journalism insider for a minute, right? Yeah. Cause this is like, yeah. So he ends up being this Obama era flack, right? And it does a medium job somehow becomes a household name because that's what happens to press secretaries. Fine, whatever. Then mm-hmm. he goes to Amazon and acts like a, a, like an anarcho capitalist in, yes. in defense of this company, just flinging himself in front of reasonable complaints, mm-hmm. just defending it, just hook, line, teeth, nails, the whole thing, and just abases himself as this absolute corporate stooge with absolutely zero backbone, spine, or ethics. And it just makes me wonder what. What were we seeing during the Obama era? Was that just his version of himself that was going to get on TV then? 
because the man apparently has no ethics. It's pathetic. Like, I, I would not do that job if you offered me the same amount of money or more because I have morals and I'm not going to defend a corporation like Amazon that literally turns bodies and warehouses into an injury list and tries to stamp out unionization so that way they can pay their engineers slightly more in Seattle. F- you. And I think the man is just pathetic. And I think Airbnb should fire him. See, this is what everything that you said. Uh huh. And this is why, actually, when I read this news say two things. One, the Bloomberg story was like, he's going there. He had some what was it? It was like he was the subject of some scrutiny. And then it it named like two things that he said that weren't very nice, like on Twitter. And I was like, no, I, I don't think that's actually the subject of the scrutiny. I think it was the like defending the thing where they fired that union organizer and kind of racistly called him. What was it unintelligible or inarticulate mm-hmm. and a, said a that he wouldn't be very sympathetic trope in, in classic of, ra- yeah. racist trope like there was that. There was defending all the warehouse injuries. There was constantly going on TV and saying it was not a problem that Amazon paid zero corporate taxes, federal income taxes, and saying, like, if you don't like the rules, you should change them. There was all of that. And the fact, what I find actually astonishing is that Airbnb did hire him. Like, that Mm -hmm. actually, to me, was the big story. It's like, okay, whoa, 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 who is Airbnb about to become? That, to Ah. me, was a very big signal that Airbnb itself is starting to be extremely concerned about these conversations that are happening out in the zeitgeist. Like, maybe Airbnb is a net negative with respect to housing policy and communities. Yeah. And and they went out and got themselves the meanest they could find to counter that. Yeah, I think this is a lot more about... Airbnb than it says about Jay Carney or Amazon that he's going there, right? Yeah, that that was my read of it. Yeah, I, I, I yeah. think I think I think it's a move based on fear. And given the conversation around Airbnbs that I've seen from consumers and activists, it makes sense because Airbnbs are now seemingly more annoying and expensive than hotels, and they expect you to do the laundry. Um, mm. So I wonder how that model holds up. And I say this as an Airbnb customer and fan. Like I, I like Airbnbs. I, my spouse used Airbnb the other week, like literally last week. So um, I, I just, I hope this is, uh, I hope we're misreading this Molly. I hope we have this one wrong. And that Jay Carney has been this moral person merely under the boot of the great Amazon machine. And now he's going to come back to his, his senses and lead Amazon, sorry, uh, Airbnb into a, uh, a consulate future. Yeah, for sure. For sure. That's 100% going to yeah. happen. Yeah. And it, actually, I would argue that to the contrary, everybody should just probably take a closer look at the Obama administration with a clearer eye. Are you trying to... T- with respect to its approach to capitalism. Just saying. I mean... I Speaking never, of wishful thinking. Yeah, I just I never got people who were like, Obama hates business. I'm like, did you watch that administration? And I, <laughs> I, I say this as a capitalist, you know, like... Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. No, but it broke the global economy. Right? These big bankers, no one went to jail. No one went That's to jail. That's all you will ever need to know. Yes. That and Jay Carney are all you will ever need to know to have an honest assessment <laughs> of that administration. Oh, man. Okay, to be clear, though, like, compared to, and I'm going to be delicate here with phrasing, the last seven years or whatever, right. I take it back. Right, right. Yeah. It's hard to, like, it's really, it's a hard compare. It's going to take the fullness of history eh. to be able to say that in a in a Spock kind of way like I just did, realistically. But, like, get real, people. No one went to jail from 2008? Like, I think one person did. Yeah, because definitely only like one person broke the law back right. then. Yeah, because yeah, only, for sure. Mortgage person. applications with crayon was definitely totally legit. 
it's really important for founders to understand what SOC 2 compliance is. Basically, if you're a SaaS company or a services company that stores customer data in the cloud, then you need to be SOC 2 verified from a third party to close major customers. It's really simple. If you're not SOC 2 compliant, you can't close the big deals. But SOC 2 verification is brutal. The process is tedious, time consuming, and expensive. But now there's Vanta. Vanta software makes it much easier to get and renew your SOC 2. On average, Vanta customers are SOC 2 compliant in just two to four weeks. Compare that with three to five months without Vanta. And they partner with over two dozen audit firms who have been trained to file SOC 2 reports directly within Vanta. And congratulations to Christina and the Vanta team for raising a $110 million Series B. What an amazing company. I loved it so much. I thought it was such a great opportunity. I invested in that round. So here is the best part. Vanta's going to give you $1,000 off. I kid you not. They're going to give you $1,000 off at vanta.com slash twist. That's vanta, V-A-N-T-A.com slash T-W-I-S-T for $1,000 off your sock too. Anyways, back to <laughs> legit things like 3AC because those yeah, people so were totally legit. Definitely. Actually, they could benefit from some Jay Carney as a spokesperson instead of speaking for themselves, because this interview was remarkable. The founders, uh, among other things, did, in fact, defend the purchase of the yacht uh, because it wasn't they didn't buy it when you think they did. The, the near as I could tell, the entire interview and the entire defense that these two offered was it's like, We've never seen a downfall before, so there was no reason for us to think that it would happen. And also, everyone was doing it. Which is the, the, the thing that all children try, which is, why did you throw a rock at the cat? Well, all my friends did. Mm -hmm. Turns out, when you're four, you learn that that defense doesn't work. And it also doesn't work in the pages of Bloomberg when you're discussing the loss of billions of dollars of other people's money. Yeah. Billions, billions of dollars. The 3AC collapse, of course, was, uh, you may recall, triggered by the fall of Terra and its sister token, Luna. And among the things that they said in this interview was, who could have predicted that these algorithmic stablecoins would turn out to be the fiction that they always were? <laughs> well, I mean, there's two ways to have a to have a, an asset backed to a single uh, peg, like the US dollar or something. One is you can have a basket of backing currency or value that is equivalent to the floating value of that token. And the other way is to just make it up and wave your hands a bunch and claim that you sorted out uh, financial mechanics, which yep. it turns out isn't true. So you can either believe in wishful thinking and magic, which is apparently they did, mm -hmm. or not. Here's the thing that blows my mind. If I wanted to go out and borrow... Let's say I wanted to go buy another house, right? Let's say I need to go out and get a, get a million dollars and uh, buy. I have to show income and you know assets and list like my pets probably and all sorts of stuff. And uh, it would be a struggle to get it because you know people would have would really vet me. They would want to make yeah. sure that I'm stable. Yeah. And these jokers got billions of dollars. I, I'm starting to wonder that there may be a lack of due diligence in the crypto world. Stop it! I just I want to float it as a possibility. Hmm. Let me think about it. Yeah, take your time. Nah. Nah. It's totally <laughs> legit. To be fair, they speak in very financial terms, right? They've got all the, like, the lingo down. But every, but, but what this unwinding and the contagion seem to suggest to me is that it wasn't just that there was a lack of due diligence. It's that it was a coven, if you will, mm. a circle, <laughs> a sorcerer's circle of wishful thinking. Because they were, these companies appear to have all been each other's customers, lenders, and borrowers. So like, it's a circle. 
Yes, absolutely. Where everybody believes in the same outcome. A circle of mutual this gratification. Getting grosser by the minute. Yeah, yeah, that. Yeah. yeah. I, I just, I'm realizing now that I'm a, <laughs> I, I recently went from being an IC to back to being a manager. And I, individual I just, contributor. Yeah. Well, I was that and it was great. Mm -hmm. Now, now I'm in charge of a team. So I have to be, um, I should probably right. clean out the rest of this. I'm going to be slightly politer. Hey, did you see the news with Voyager and FTX from Friday and this morning? No. So Voyager had exposure to 3AC. They are in bankruptcy. FTX, which is a right, crypto yeah. exchange mm -hmm. owned by Sam Bankman Freed, um, sent them essentially a, an offer on Friday that would be uh, the mechanics of a partial bailout for customers, essentially. Uh, mm -hmm. This morning, Voyager responded saying, go screw yourself, essentially. We think mm -hmm. your offer sucks. And it says in the in the release, it's like, because some people have said that FTX is getting a, a good deal because they are both our customer, our competitor, and our like investor. And I'm like, ah, how are you guys all this inter intermingled? Didn't you think there was some risk to all holding on to the same plank? I mean, clearly not. Yes. They all believe, and you can sort of see this in the way that crypto people talk. They all believe that the key to this is community. And so if you have enough, I mean, you can sort of see how it would all start to go sideways, right? It's ba it's a community based on trust. We have enabled trust technologically with the blockchain, and we have some transparency, but increasingly less the more financialized these um, products get. And as long as everyone believes like, literally, that's what it all comes down to. As long as everyone believes that Lara, Luna has value, then Terra will be okay. So it makes perfect sense as an evolution that they would all be each other's customers and lenders and investors mm -hmm. because they're the believers. Yeah. But pretty soon you have this circle of believers and no one else. And it's like as soon as one crack appears in the dam... That's it. All the water yeah. comes rushing through. Well, you can't have, at the same time, community, trust, and toxic positivity. You can have any two. You can have community and trust, but not toxic positivity. You can have toxic positivity and trust, but not community, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And they want to have all three at the same time. And this whole, we are going to make it, you know, um, who, who did the cover song of that? Um, Zuckerberg's sister? It was terrible. Randy Zuckerberg. Oh, yeah. yeah. Randy. What, what? Mm -hmm. Pro proof that money doesn't buy taste. Um, but the, the yeah, toxic to positivity song, but. is, is, is I, I think, something that must be addressed by the crypto faithful because it's killing them. Define toxic positivity. You mean that just the relentless boosterism combined with the extremely negative, like the toxic part is the have st fun staying poor, right? Toxic positivity to me is the, the absolute demand that everyone is sunny all the time, regardless of what's going on. Right, right, right. And, and like, so then nobody ever hears the hard truth. Yeah, no one can ever. hear the hard truth because you're not supposed to bring it up. You're supposed to be positive. So you can have community and trust, but not that. Or you can have toxic positivity and either community or right. trust, but you can't have all three. It just doesn't work. Uh, and I, I think that um, sobriety and some good old-fashioned pessimism would do crypto well. And I say that trust. as someone who's been covering this since 2013. I think crypto's yeah. kind of cool. I thought it was neat back then. I still do. Yeah. But I'm, I'm very bored with... The, the last 18 months of, of play to earn and NFTs and stuff, because it, it's just, it's the creation of, you know, like dime store vending machines inside the internet. I don't care. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love this phrase, toxic positivity, because there was the Bitcoin toxicity with some backers actually explicitly encouraged, which was pile on mob on to anybody who is opposed to this. And, and at the end of the day, it's like, I don't know why this has to be discovered a new over and over and over, but 
truth creates trust. Yep. Pretty yeah. good t-shirt. And you know? also trust is not something you can spin up like you can a discord server, right? right. Nor can you bully it into existence. No. And especially yeah. you can't just claim that you didn't understand counterparty risk and the fact that things go down sometimes as an excuse for why you spent everyone's money and lost it. Like if you overleave for yourself, well, at least uh, why can't people just own up to it and say, you know what? We took a gamble. It didn't pay off. We're really sorry. Like right. I, I would kind of respect that because at least that would be honest, but trying to find right. somebody that it's not their fault. I mean, like if you crash your car because you weren't looking at the uh, road, don't blame the uh, the markings on the sidewalk, you know? Right. It, for example, let me offer an example of the kind of um, statements that do not help from uh, co-founder Zhu. Uh, we were never seen in any club spending lots of money. We were never seen, you know, kind of driving Ferraris and Lamborghinis around. This kind of smearing of us, I feel, is just from a classic playbook of, you know, when this stuff happens, when funds blow up, then, you know, these are the kind of headlines that... People like to play. This was uh, in relation to the yacht. They claimed that actually they were not living high on the hog at all. They only own two homes. His family only has two homes in Singapore, which oh. isn't that like one of the most expensive markets That's, in the world? Yes. I only own two I'm houses like, in Pacific Heights of San Francisco. Right? I'm hardly living high on the hog. I'm basically paycheck to paycheck here. Just say everybody involved here knew it was a risk. Things got out of hand. Yes. Right? Like, we're sorry, but who? of course we bought yachts. Yeah, of course. I mean, but it was a year ago, Molly. Calm down. It was a year ago. What, what am I so stressed about? I would like to now talk about decks that I would like to see. I would like to request that if someone has a copy of the deck related to the story we're about to bring up next, that they please send it to me. Because those of us who have been following Bitcoin for a really long time are well aware of this poor uh, Scottish uh, gentleman, James Howell. Yes. Who accidentally sent what is now, even at today's price, is $181 million worth of Bitcoin to the dump almost a decade ago, the actual dump. But he's never given up. He's right? Never like given he up. has been begging for years for the city to let him excavate the dump and try to go and find this hard drive full of Bitcoin. Uh, this is, a, I don't think, maybe he's not Scottish, he's Welsh. It's a, he's from the city of Newport in southern Wales. And he threw this out. And so now, though, and this is amazing, according to Business Insider, he is trying to raise $11 million from the town, but has support from venture capital. This is the deck part to spin up this bananas plan to use like Autonomous technology and AI guarded by Boston Dynamics robot dogs to create a giant conveyor belt to sort the entire landfill's worth of trash and recover the Bitcoin and presumably sell the film rates. So why do we think the hard drive is still okay? That's my question with this. Is it a super strong hard drive that isn't going to get rained on and hurt? Like, I mean, it's been in there for a while because I've heard this story over the years and there's always this mm -hmm. sad picture of him like staring out at the dump, you know, with yeah. like sad eyes and you want to give him a hug, but like James, maybe it's gone, you know? They talked to uh, some experts. They he, Among the people he has brought on as a part of this team are the people who recovered the data from the black box of the Columbia shuttle. Evidently, uh, according to his experts, as long as the platter in the hard disk yeah. isn't cracked, 
there's an 80 to 90% chance the data will be retrievable. So there's a 0% chance if it's cracked, which we don't know. But if it isn't cracked, there's also a chance it won't work. And he wants $11 million to buy Boston Dynamics dogs. I mean, again, I, I feel for the guy because he threw out a life-changing amount of money. And the problem is, as Bitcoin has appreciated, he's felt dumber, but he shouldn't because he would have sold it at a much lower price. Like, I covered Bitcoin back in like 2012, 13, and it was like $100 of Bitcoin. And I wrote this headline, like, you know, Bitcoin crashes to like 50. And people were like, you know, don't you wish you would just bought a bunch of Bitcoin at 50, then you'd be, you know, rich for life. I would have sold it at 125 or I would have sold it at a thousand or, you know, I would have like paid off my student debt earlier. And because that's what you do with assets that appreciate. I don't know. James should go easy on himself and, and, uh, and let it go. Hugs. Yeah. Let it go, man. Yeah. It's, it's kind of sad. I mean, it's not, not sad in the pathetic way. I get it. I, the, the, it must keep him up at night still, but I don't think this is going to solve it. I don't think if it works, you're right. It's a movie. He's a genius. But like, what, what's the actual chance that this bears oh, the out? City the city is having wants? none of it. They won't even have a meeting with him. They're like, oh, you'd like to release all of the stored methane of the landfill and God knows what other ecological disaster by digging this thing up? Like, nope. Well, like it's going to spill toxic chemicals. You know, I mean, they're just straight up like, absolutely not. Well, climate change, pollution, <laughs> water damage, ecological disruption, et cetera, or magic internet money. <laughs> It's a really compelling argument, I think. Oh, man. I, Alex, as always, it is such an absolute treat to have you on. It's fun to just like dive into that good old journalism cynicism. <laughs> well, I, 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 you know, I don't get to, I, I mostly oh, edit the and manage these days. So I don't get, rarely no, not am I asked all. to just pop off. You know what I mean? And so coming out yep. here is like, Let's just have some fun and uh, let's get some emails for some folks who are annoyed with us. Let's if you, do it. If you are annoyed at Molly or myself, send your emails to jason at launch.co. There we and go. And he will get right back to you. He will. That's he true. Will. He will definitely be like, I can't believe they said those inflammatory things on my on podcast. The show. Yeah. Because <laughs> famously, Jason, very mild mannered. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Modicum yeah. of manners. Yes. And absolutely. And moderation. And <laughs> And he is fueled by hate mail. It's like Monsters, Inc. up in here. Uh, and I Alex, didn't bring up Solana once, so I get five points. All right. Well, you're going to have to come back next week then. Let's do it. <laughs> Alex, thanks a lot. Stay tuned, everybody. Uh, the week is going to go on and on. We also have Debosa coming up uh, later this week as a fill-in while Jason is rafting. And you never know, Jason just or uh, Alex might just have to pop on. Nick has my cell phone off. number, so. Pop on to pop off. Again, you just never know. <laughs> 